The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Redeemer, Savior, friend of man. What a wonderful God uh, who invites us into relationship with him and each other. We're so glad to be able to worship God together today. Uh, If you're here visiting us or you're just relatively new, please take time to fill in the welcome card in front of you. We'd love to know of your visit. You can also uh, download our app and you can uh, let us know of your visit that way. But this card can also be used to let us know of ways that we can be praying for you or praising God with you. And uh, we'd love to hear of ways that God's working in your life. So please let us know through that as well. So thinking of welcoming, really fun news. Ivana Kazaya Wejasingha was born on, on October 24th to Sean and Stephanie. And so we are so glad for them to have a new addition to their family of five now. And so as you see them in the coming weeks, please uh, uh, just congratulate them and have joy with them. Uh, Wednesday, we have come to the table. This week, it's uh, Mexican bread, uh, Mexican beef chili, salad and cornbread, and banana bread for dessert. And uh, we're letting you know that please sign up by this evening so that we know how to buy food for tomorrow, and then we do all the prep on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's been a good number of weeks, and we hope that you can join us this week. Uh, and as soon as you come once, following that, you always get a reminder each week, so it makes it really easy to remember to sign up. And we hope also that you stay afterwards, first of all, for discipleship groups where you can bring your Bible journal and we just talk about ways that we're encountering Christ as we go through Sermon on the Mount. But we also have our English conversation circle. Some could stay just to talk around coffee. But another ministry that happens Wednesday night is called Precept Bible Studies. And a few of you are involved in that and and it's a really good in-depth study of the Bible. And uh, what the team wants you to know is from November 16th to 30th for three Wednesdays, there's specific focused on the book of Titus and it's such a relevant topic developing character and integrity in the midst of a society which has lost respect for God and so if you've been interested and you're thinking well sometimes it's just too long for me this is a really good way to get a taste of precepts and to think about ways that we can be salt and light as we've been learning on the Sermon on the Mount in this world Uh, And with that, one of the things that our church, uh, we're always wanting to see how can we engage in a Christ-like way in the world around us. And uh, of course, this spring, there's so many hard things that have been happening in the world, and one is just the war in the Ukraine. And during that time, we decided that it was wise to set up a Ukrainian task force to help us be prepared for Ukrainians who may be moving to uh, Manitoba. And not just for that situation, but to set the groundwork for down the road for refugees from any country and just new Canadians, just helping us be better prepared to love people who are in need when they're looking for a home. So I'm going to ask Ruby Wilson to come up. She's been our team leader for this task force, just to share an update with you. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to give you an update on the Ukrainian task force. And this will be our last uh, or final update on the task force um, as it stands now. As Doug has mentioned, it was formed in response to the crisis in Ukraine and, uh, and really a request of a family who was going to host uh, three Ukrainian children. Um, the task force has four members, um, Ann Donald, and if they are here, Ann Donald, uh, Emmy Drewski, and Val Schellenberg. And uh, they were part of the planning and uh, um, many 
meetings that we did have, and we worked with Pastor Doug. Our founding verse is Matthew 25, 35. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And as Doug has outlined, our um, three uh, key purposes, we were to walk along the White Ridge families who had chosen to host Ukrainian newcomers to help them uh, and coordinate with meals, to engage your help, also for driving for appointments, and there are many, many appointments, um, help in opening a bank account, and friendship helps as well to engage and raise your awareness of the crisis as well as to lay the foundation for the newcomer ministry. It's going to be a large document with information specific to uh, Ukrainians, but also generic for all uh, newcomers. And over the last few months, you as a congregation, you've responded in participating with donations of clothing, housewares, personal hygiene, and household cleaning, supplies, prayer time, <clears throat> and prayer vigils. And we do thank you for your generosity and for the prayers, because the needs for newcomers are very great. But while the original plan for three families from White Ridge to host a family or Ukrainian families over the spring and summer months did not materialize, today we are winding down the Ukrainian task force but the work is not complete. The work will continue, but some new players. For you to maintain um, your awareness and to gather information, do check the White Ridge website in the Justice and Mercies Ministries, as well as under missions. And we've identified ways that you can continue to help newcomers. Um, the need right now is very great for mentors. There are about 12 Ukrainian families waiting for mentors, um, and that's work through the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. I'm not officially registered with the Congress, but we're mentoring, and um, we're actually doing a lot more than that, and it's, it's been a blessing. and donations of food through the Winnipeg Harvest uh, bins here. Many more people, the Ukrainian newcomers, are showing up at the food bank, and so they do need your help. In early September, as we were winding down our plans, um, the families had not arrived, and we were helping. Um, we did have a text at 10 o'clock one night saying that we would be receiving a, f a family that uh, was going to be arriving the next day. They are believers. They don't have any family in Winnipeg. And um, Anne and I have been helping them find their way in Winnipeg during the last uh, month and a half. And two or three additional families have expressed interest. And one family already drove them for a hair appointment, and that was huge to feel fresh, and uh, it was great for them. In the future, we will be asking for help with, uh, from you for housewares and furniture as the family has secured an apartment. Um, I am working with uh, Deacon from Park City Gospel Church, uh, and we are coordinating that, and um, 
we will also need help for, for the housewares. The family has thanked you, they have felt loved, and uh, they have been very appreciative, very grateful of the um, help from the church, and they do hope to attend a service uh, in November. And so we thank you um, as a task force, and uh, again, for your help, for your prayers, and um, we ask that you continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine and, and for uh, Winnipegers, uh, for all of us to maintain an open heart, for, not just for Ukrainian newcomers, but all newcomers. Despite the helps that have been provided, it is a very hard journey, and uh, maybe some of you know that, but uh, it's also a very um, satisfying uh, journey as well. And. Uh, I get a little teary, but we had the family for Thanksgiving, and it was just a wonderful experience. We sang uh, Ukrainian songs, and it was just like when my mother was... So, the family is a real blessing. Let's just thank them. Thank you very much. Our team was very heartfelt in the role that they had. And uh, as a church, again, we want to continually be growing in cultural awareness and sensitivities to people who are coming in from vulnerable situations and ways that we can love and support them. And hopefully that through us, they also they experience the love of Christ. Uh, with that, this uh, in two Thursdays from now, we have our seniors' lunch, which is called Growing in Grace. And we've invited Chris Schrader to come and speak on the topic of, or give an update on the Ukraine, and also fragile context countries. And so that's a phrase that's new to me, fragile context countries. And he's going to talk about what World Division is doing. And so uh, we're, if you're interested in coming that meal, it's uh, noon till about 1.30. That's on November the 10th. And again, we ask for you to register by next Sunday. Uh, if you want to sign up in person right in front of the uh, registration area, there's someone, uh, Rhea Jenkinson is there to, for registration registration. And once a month, we have a justice and mercy focus. We have a team that just purely thinks about that for our church. And today, I'm going to invite David Pollandine to come up. Last spring, we talked about human, traffic, human trafficking and healthy relationships. And this month, we're going to be talking about slavery and healthy relationships. So Dave is uh, one of our team members, and he's just uh, going to give us some food for thought today. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Pollandine, and I've really come um, to give you an update, really, on slavery, because it's not great news. Um, recently, they've remeasured the slavery index, how many people are in slavery, and the last measurement was done in 2017, and it was 40.3 million, which is still a horrific number. It's actually just couple of million more than the population of Canada. But we've remeasured it uh, in 2021, and it now stands at 50 million. And that's quite shocking that in just five years, it's grown by 10 million. So how can we respond? Well, I thought we could look at a story of Zacchaeus. And there are three words in Zacchaeus that can help us, and they are, he looked up. He looked up. How can we look up at this 
Remember, Wilberforce said, once seen, not unseen, about the transatlantic slave trade. How can we look up? Well, first of all, let's look up and see why this has happened. And I've got three reasons. There may be more, but here are three. One is COVID. The proximity of abusers to the abused has increased because of COVID, because people have been locked in together in a physical way, in a, in a home with their abusers, or abusers and the abused have been online more together. Secondly, climate change. Why? Well, because of displacement. Because, because of climate change, people can't live on the land like they used to. They get displaced and they become vulnerable to trafficking, especially labor trafficking. Also, a lot of the industries that are detrimental to climate are industries that perpetuate slavery. The mineral extraction industries, the agricultural industries, the thread industry. And thirdly, conflict. We know that we've got many areas now where there are conflict in Ukraine, in Ethiopia, in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in many places around the world. And conflict means displacement of people. And that means, again, that people are vulnerable to trafficking, both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. So these are three things as we look up and we see why slavery has increased. So I want us to, to encourage us by looking up and seeing what might be some solutions. First of all, for COVID. In COVID, we were separated. So how can we unseparate? Well, we can love our neighbor. We can, we're going to see our neighbor more now because we're outside more, especially with the weather. The neighbor in front of us, the neighbor behind us, the neighbor on our left, the neighbor on our right. So how can we do things differently? How can we look for opportunities to love our neighbor? Also, we're getting to meet a lot more. So Pastor Doug listed a whole way, lots of different ways that we can meet. A lot of them happen kind of off the Wednesday meeting, come to the table, don't they? There's lots of things happening there. Paul says, doesn't he, don't give up meeting, keep meeting. Because in those days, there were lots of reasons not to meet because it was dangerous. But he says, keep meeting. So let's look for ways to meet together to encourage one another. And thirdly, conflict. How can we deal with all the conflict that's going on in the world? Sorry, secondly, I've jumped uh, climate change, but let's start with conflict. Well, we can praise God for the, for the Ukrainian task force. That's incredible that we've had that task force. And it sounds like there's going to be lots of opportunities going forward as well. So keep looking on the website. Look for ways that we can get involved. The idea of the mentorship, that might strike somebody as something you can do. We can also pray for the Ukraine and for other areas of conflict. And I know that World Vision, I know that IGM, who I work for, are working with people who are being trafficked as well because of um, from Ukraine so we can go and look at their websites and finally climate climate change is possibly out of the three the most um, the most important to look at because it's having the biggest effect in so many places so let's learn about it let's learn about that link between climate and slavery because I think as we learn about it and as we as we get more information about it it will actually impact the way that we live it's no use me telling you or someone telling me how to live, but as we learn about this link, it will impact our carbon footprints. It will impact the way the things that we buy. We'll start to think about 
what we're buying and where the slavery might be in the supply chain. I want to finish with another situation where Jesus looked up. He looked up at the Pharisees, as he did many times, and he said, you have neglected the more important matters of the law. And he said those matters were justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And we know that he was kind of looking back at Micah 6, where it was doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. So I just want to encourage us all to look up and to do justice, walk humbly, uh, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Amen to that song, and I really love that song, and it's just all praise to God. Let us read Scripture together, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word, found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 18 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, your treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thus far the reading of God's words. You may be seated. Much sake for reading the scripture to us this morning. And thanks, Anna, for, for leading worship and the team. Pat and I just got back from a week away, a renewal retreat at Kareth Pines in eastern Manitoba, led by Focus on the Family, and it was just an incredibly restful week. It took me to about three, day three to kind of get in the rhythm of a kind of rest that I think was just refreshing. The, the key word that I seem to have come away with from the week was, was uh, attentive or attentiveness. And I think that one of the things that slowing down and getting in a slower rhythm helps with is becoming attentive to what God is doing and saying to you, becoming attentive to your own emotions and reactions and thinking, attentive to your spouse or other people around you. And so I just want to thank you as a church for letting us have that opportunity to get away and to just be thoroughly blessed by that time. Let's take some time to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, our God, we thank you for who you are. Holy, holy, holy. 
And like we just sang, all the angels sing and all creation sings, and we lend our voices to that theme, that eternal theme that we will be around the throne singing. It's just a matter of time, and we will be there. with saints from every nation and tribe and family and people throughout all of the ages. Oh, Lord, how worthy you are to receive all glory and honor. And, Lord, uh, in this earth and in this time, we still wrestle, oh, God. One day when we're there in that place, we will know that we will not even wrestle with the presence of sin, but while we are in this body, we still do. We wrestle with the presence of sin in us and around us. And God, we do not love you as we ought to love you. You're worthy of so much more love than you receive from us. There's so many competing affections in our hearts. We bring those to you. We confess that. Oh God, we're fickle. We're able to sing your praises on a Sunday morning like this and then by the evening wander away from that first love. Oh God, help us. Thank you that in your grace, because you came down through Jesus, you understand our frame. You understand our weakness. You understand where we seek to derive comfort from instead of with you, where we seek to medicate our problems with other things instead of going to you. And Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful, gracious God, slow to anger, rich in love. How we need that love today and every day. And so help us, Lord. As we draw near to you this morning in your word, we ask you, arrest our attention, O oh God. Captivate our hearts, Lord. Invade our spirit. Let your Holy Spirit have his way here in this place and every place where we are opening your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about hoarding. <laughs> I mean, why not, eh? A random subject. Hoarding is defined as the unrelenting struggle to discard or part with personal possessions. Now, some of you are already nudging your spouse, <laughs> or you're thinking of a friend. And um, it's often accompanied with this uh, regular visit to the thrift store or the garage sales or the malls or even dumpsters. And then not wanting to throw anything away that might be useful somewhere down the road. You know, you just never know. And the problem is that it can just take over your home, your life. A hoarding disorder 
has been identified by the Clinician's Diagnostic Manual DSM-5 as uh, a subtype of an obsessive-compulsive disorder. And um, it's estimated that 2, two to 6% of the population struggle with this in some form or another, and that um, all ethnicities deal with this, and men and women deal with this, and, and in fact, uh, I didn't like this, I didn't put it up there on the PowerPoint, but people over 60 have a more propensity to deal with it. <laughs> of course, that doesn't include anybody here. It even goes on to say that there are five levels of a dysfunctional uh, of a hoarding disorder. Number one level is actually something that all of us might identify with. A little bit of clutter in the corner, a little bit of an odor in the house sometimes. Level two, it gets to this um, blocking entrances. Maybe an appliance doesn't work, but you just set it in the corner and think it'll get fixed one day and, and so on. And, and, and then by the time you get to uh, the third level, it's really getting kind of serious. There's, there's clutter outside the home now. Appliances may not work. A bathroom may be unusable. Pathways line your house to get through. Dust is thick. Clothes are dirty. Garbage is everywhere. Personal hygiene is starting to suffer in level three of this disorder. By the time you get to level four, there could be structural damage in the house. The garbage is taking over. There's pets and smells everywhere. Food is rotting. Rodents and fleas and lice could be taking over. And, of course, the very last level is uh, it's, a, it's a house that's unfit for habitation. It's a, a garbage dump that people are living in. Animals are sick. There's no running water. Utilities might have been shut off. And in fact, uh, the authorities probably by level five have been called. Pat and I lived beside a hoarder when we were in a different city. <laughs> Whenever you get up here, you don't want to implicate your neighbor or somebody else. So I'm clarifying that. Uh, we lived beside someone in a different city that was a hoarder. And, and on a couple of occasions, I tried to help her. I, I, one time, I remember, I went over and I just took all the, the stuff around her house to the dump. And, and she was on holidays. And when she got back, she was so ticked off at me for doing this. I regularly cut her grass. She didn't mind that. And, and within a month or two, all other stuff was around her house on the outside again. Again, and so I'd peek through the window, and, and literally there were pathways that you could see piled with stuff on every side. What is it that causes this stuff to happen? Some people have written about the childhood trauma, a neglect or an abuse, a loss of a loved one. Whatever it might have been, what's happening is that there is an emotional value placed on physical objects that bring a sense of safety and security. And of course, these objects are, are valued more than their monetary value. And it's done to relieve a sense of anxiety that pervades the, the per person. Hoarders surround themselves with stuff because they want to feel safe, they want to avoid, uh, get rid of voids in their life, and they want to have security. These are reasons given by people with the disorder. And it's only when they understand the lie that exists beneath the disorder that is when there's a, a sort of an attempt at really wholeness and getting well again. 
In fact, people can come in and completely, a big crew, just clean out the house, get it all spick and span, and within a few months it'll be back to where it was, unless you get underneath the, the, the issue at hand, the heart of it. Now, you might be thinking by now this is a really weird introduction to a sermon and that you might, might have already let yourself off the hook because you're saying, well, I'm not a hoarder like that. But before you go too far, just let's remind ourselves of what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And over and over again, each Sunday, we've noticed that it's far more than what's on the surface that Jesus is teaching. He's teaching down deep into the heart, okay? And so it's the intent of the law of God. So that's why he says in verse 19 of the Scripture, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus is not talking about the amount of stuff that you have accumulated here on earth. He is only raising the matter of earthly treasures to compare them with heavenly treasures. In fact, Jesus, if you'll read the text, is actually encouraging a storing up, hoarding. He's saying don't hoard and store up on earth, hoard and store up in heaven. <laughs> we're, to we're to be spiritual hoarders. It's really what kind of treasure are you storing up and where are you storing it? And so he's wanting us to reflect deeply on our hearts and, and where our, our lives are invested. Are they invested in earthly material things or are they invested in spiritual and heavenly things? And that will display where your heart is, which is always the concern for Jesus. Now, some of you have read the book by Timothy Keller called Counterfeit Gods. And he says this, he says, There are deep idols within the heart beneath the more concrete and visible surface idols that we serve. Each deep idol, things like power, approval, comfort, or control, generates a different set of fears and hopes. But surface idols are things such as money, our spouse, or children, through which our deep idols seek fulfillment. We are often superficial in the analysis of our idol structures. Now that last statement is very important. We are often superficial in our analysis of our idol structures. What's, what's down deep? Why is it that I do what I do? <clears throat> and what's on the surface that shows what I do? Keller goes on to say in his book that money can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy the more foundational impulses. For example, some people, he writes, want lots of money as a way to control their world. You control your world through money. Some people save money as a means of feeling secure in this world. Other people spend money to, to, to get the image that they want to project to the social circle that they are attracted to. Other people want money because it gives them power over other people in their world. But in every case that I've just described, money is an idol, I-D-O-L, that enslaves and distorts our view of ourselves and others and God. 
And, in, and, and though it promises to enlarge life, it actually shrinks life. Money, someone said, is a great servant, but a terrible master. <laughs> I read a, about a couple who had disputes in their marriage about money, and finally one day they went to a, couple, a, a pastor for some counseling. They had a good marriage, but they always fought about money. And so they went to see the pastor one day, and right away the, the husband launched into the criticism of his wife. She's always spending money on clothes and appearances. Well, she quickly lit into him ahead of the pastor. He's a miser, always socking more money away, investing, he says, for the future. Both of them, though, had a heart change when they discovered that money was actually only a surface idol and that both of them had a deeper idol that they had to address in their marriage. Her spending was an attempt at acceptance in her social circle rising out of her own insecurity. His saving was an attempt at being in control of whatever might happen in the future, which he could never tell. But both of them had to see that the lies underneath their behavior was almost the same lie, and that is, I can't trust God. I'm going to have to pursue this and make this happen myself. In fact, most of the lies that we ever believe subversively really are all about not trusting God, just like back in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, I'll take care of you? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in uh, his book called The Cost of Discipleship, writes, Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. God gave Israel manna every day. If they kept any of it until the next day, it went bad. In the same way, the disciple must receive his portion from God every day. If he stores it up as a permanent possession, he spoils not only the gift, but himself as well. If he sets his heart on his accumulated wealth, it makes a barrier between himself and God. Where our treasure is, there is our trust, our God. So let's take a look at what Jesus has to say in this text in Matthew chapter 6. I have three things I'd like to share. And Jesus is comparing two things and telling us to choose one. The first thing that he compares are two treasures. Verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 19 and 20. Jesus Recognize this, that Jesus is not forbidding the owning of things. This is not a ban on personal possessions or private property. Saving for the future is not forbidden. What Jesus is condemning here is the selfish accumulation of money and goods, the foolish fantasy that your life consists in these commodities that you physically accumulate. The clothes you wear, the car you drive, the things you own, the house you live in, the vacation you take, and that somehow life consists in these things. Because the, pro the problem is they're all passing away. They're all passing away. They all will rust out, wear out, break, get stolen, get canceled, lose their value, and somewhere along the way, you're not going to have them anymore. But there are treasures that actually last there are treasures that can last. Now, twice now in our married life, which is almost 40 years, twice now in our married life, we have decluttered our home, and we have sold that home 
The first time was back in 2002 when we left Thunder Bay and we moved to Bolivia, South America. And before we moved, we, we gave away a whole bunch of stuff, we sold a bunch of stuff, and then we stored some stuff in, in uh, a friend's garage because uh, we didn't know how long we'd be away. Well, we got back seven years later, and it was amazing how how unimportant the stuff that we stored for those seven years was. In fact, it was amazing how obsolete some of it was, or even how it may be rusted or got worn out. More recently, this past July, we sold our home, and uh, we decluttered, we sold stuff, we gave stuff away, and now our earthly belongings are at our cottage with our kids and in the garage of a dear family in our church that uh, will rename nameless at this point because I don't want to give them five dollars. My point in sharing all of this is simply that, that we were amazed that in the 13 years since we've moved back from Bolivia, how much stuff we accumulated in this house that we live in, in just 13 years. Now, some of you are thinking, well, we've lived in our house a long, longer than 13 years. <laughs> well, I don't want to go see your basement or your garage. That's your issue. One, for example, one, one thing, we, we had these chests, we, we bought these Bolivian weavings, they're called a guayo, and we bought these, and some of them were on our walls, and one's in my office, anyway, somehow when we put these away in a chest, when we got them out and got, got moving, we pulled some out, and they just fell apart, they had some kind of worm or something in them, the moth just destroyed them, they were garbage. It happens. I uh, listened to a TED talk recently by a woman named Liz Wright. Maybe you've seen this, and it's not real new. It's called Getting Rid of 1,000 Things. Anybody heard of that idea? I know a family that uh, did that. They got rid of 1,000 things. They kept a list. <laughs> you think, you can't do that. She says it was absolutely easy. She had a hard time getting her husband to buy in, but she had no problem Giving. It's like someone I knew said, you know, he'll, she'll give the shirt off her husband's back. <laughs> anyway, this is amazing how, how fast it happened, she said. And again, what is the point? It's, it's wise, I think, to go through things because the more stuff you have, the more you're a slave to that stuff. This is just on a practical level. We're not even talking about storing up treasure in heaven at this point. We're just talking on a practical level how, how much wiser it is to live that way. And so, Jesus puts before us two options. He says, there's two treasures that you can live for. Choose one. You will choose one. And he says in verse 21, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, be careful how you choose because your choice will reveal the condition of your heart. That's what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, another text, Jesus teaches us this. He says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, this other commandment, the third commandment. Uh, be, beware of all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We must not think of treasure in heaven as something only in the future either. We, we, we believe that Jesus, when he spoke these words, had an audience sitting around him on the Sermon on the Mount. 
that understood what, when he said heavenly things, they were not thinking of the afterlife alone. They were thinking of the spiritual realm, things that moth and rust cannot touch. No thief can get in this. This is something that you do in the temporal world that affects the spiritual and eternal world. And he's saying this because the things we do now in this earth can, can feed into the priorities and passions and presence of God. They can be enjoyed now and they can be enjoyed throughout eternity. Serving someone else can be a way of storing up treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven will never wear out. Treasure in heaven will never be eaten by moths. It will not rust out. It will never be stolen. There are treasures that we can live for which can have an influence now and 10,000 years from now. Anything that we do now with our time, talents, money, resources that serve God's purposes in this world and outlast us, definitely, those things are treasures in heaven. The temporal activities that have eternal results. When we steward what God has given us for the needs of others, we are storing up treasure in heaven. Hard to quantify sometimes, isn't it? Did what I just do or buy, is it an earthly treasure or would Jesus define it as a heavenly treasure? You go on a vacation with some friends. Is it an earthly treasure or a heavenly treasure? Well, you know the answer to that question. The answer to the question is, what did you do with the vacation with the friends? If you buy some other gadget for the house, is it an earthly treasure or a heavenly treasure? Well, you know the answer to that question. How will you use that gadget? Is it absolutely useless, really, or is it only going to be used for you and your personal gratification and needs? Are you going to be serving some other purpose beyond yourself? Are you going to be showing Christ somehow to somebody else through that vacation or that gadget you bought? You see, the inherent thing is not really where we get the definition of whether it's an earthly or a heavenly treasure. It's what do you bring to that? What is your heart in that? Do you want to serve the Lord? Well, let's move on. Let's move on to talk, secondly, about two realities to look at. In verse 22, there's very interesting words. Jesus says the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is dark, how great is that darkness? Well, we often run into problems when we try to think that a scripture has some really hard way to understand it. And it's just actually very simple to understand. I think this is one of those examples. That Jesus here is not speaking literally that the eye somehow brings light into the body. No, sorry, that really doesn't make sense. Metaphorically, though, it makes a ton of sense. Because when you open your eyes and look at something, it is coming in to you, and it is influencing you inside, like a house with a window. The light comes in, and it influences the inside. What we look at, what we gaze upon, will be what we pursue. It's just proven. 
Do you think that advertisement and commercial television commercials don't understand that? Indeed, they do. For every hour of television we watch, they say that we, we um, watch about 13 to 15 minutes of commercials in a given hour of television that by the age of 65, the average person is exposed to about 2 million commercials. The average American, and Amer- American, I'm putting Canadians in there too, in, in all of the world, the, the highest people that watch the most television is us in North America. Over three hours a day is the average. And you're going to see a lot of commercials in there. And what is the point of commercials? Well, they know that what you look at is what you will pursue. It's like taking a flashlight. Wherever you point that flashlight, that's where you're going to walk. And so, Jesus is saying, the eye is for the light of you, to guide you, and yet if the eye, the light that's coming into you is darkness, and you're looking at wrong stuff and pursuing wrong things, whoo, how great is that darkness, something that was meant to actually edify and build you up into Christ-likeness is now actually leading you astray. And so, John, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he mentions three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes or the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but the one who does the will of my Father, of God, lives forever. And so Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that there are two realities that coexist together. You cannot avoid both of them. There is the reality of the world you live in. It's going to try and captivate your attention. It's going to try and win over your affections. You cannot live in this world and avoid the reality of earthly treasures, earthly comforts, earthly pleasures. And God gave them for us to enjoy. (laughs) That's the hard thing. Many of the things that become idols in our lives are things that God gave us to enjoy. But be careful. Because the reality is that you might enjoy some gift of God and believe it and love it and pursue it for a lie that it's giving you something that God doesn't want to give you. The deception behind pursuing earthly treasures to a fault is that while it promises to enlighten you, it actually will darken your life. While it promises to bring you freedom, it will actually enslave you. While it promises to enlarge your life, it will actually shrink your life into smaller pursuits. St. Augustine defines sin as love turned in on itself. That's sin. Love turned in on itself. Martin Luther probably was thinking of St. Augustine's definition of sin when he quoted a Latin phrase that goes like this, homo in curvatas in se, which means man curved in upon himself. Man curved in upon himself. The self-oriented, self-gratified life is the life of storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It has been said by someone that that when people attain wealth, now think about this, when people attain wealth, one of the first things they purchase with their wealth is isolation. 
Now, why do we say that? It's because self-sufficiency is viewed in our culture as one of the highest benchmarks of success. I mean, why borrow your neighbor's snowblower and have to wait for his timetable when you can buy your own snowblower, right? And be independent, self-sufficient. What do you lose in that? Well, you lose a relationship with your neighbor. There's a trade-off. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. This is from an author by the name of Sebastian Younger. He says, a wealthy person who has never had to rely on help and resources from his community is leading a privileged life that falls way outside of years of human experience. Financial independence can lead to isolation, and isolation can put people at greatly increased risk of depression and suicide. This might be a fair trade for a generally wealthier society, but a trade it is. We never think that way. You see, there's more deception that comes along with money than we are aware of. There's more deception that comes with greater wealth than we are aware of. It takes a steady hand to carry a brimful cup. It takes a steady hand to carry a full cup. Let's move on to the final point of the message. Jesus talks in verse 24 about two masters to love and serve. Choose one. Last comparison. It says, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one, love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Two treasures that are out there to pursue, two places to store those treasures, two realities you can spend your time in, all of it one day revealing the choice that you've made that there's one master that you will serve. Either your master will be physical, material life supported by money, or it will be a spiritual life centered on God, but you cannot serve both. The word Jesus uses for money is mammon, which means anything that money can buy, which turns into something that you might worship one day if you're not careful, mammon. Money does not like to stay neutral. Either you serve God and let him help you with your money, or the, you serve money and, and uh, the money will help you put God in his place, but not on the throne. And that's why money is a terrible master, but, not a, but a, a great servant. You see, the point is you can't really handle money. It will handle you. You need to steward money. Steward is a different word. Steward is an old word referring to the superintendent of a household. And the superintendent of a household managed that household. Nobody managed the superintendent in the Old Testament times. Nobody managed the superintendent of a household. And a steward had to be found faithful in that. And so, <clears throat> loving and serving God means not loving and serving money, but stewarding it, putting it in its right place and making sure it stays where it's meant to be and doesn't get around your heart too much. Jesus tells the parable in Luke chapter 12 of a rich man. You know the parable of that. The man that had such an incredible crop one year that he... He thought to himself, what shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns and I'll be, build bigger barns. And then I'll store up all my 
crops and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you have all that you need. Rest and take it easy and be merry. And then it says in the, in the scripture, in the parable, but God said to you this very night, your soul will be required of you. And then Jesus ends the parable by saying this in Luke 15, 21, Luke 12, 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? (laughs) Especially when we have so much and we live on such a physical, material, money plane. What does it mean to be rich toward God. I think it means count God as your treasure, as your most valuable possession. Handle your money in such a way that shows that God is your highest treasure. Live your life to find your joy, not in the things that money can buy, but in God and the way he shows you to live. Live your life to find joy and maximizing pleasure that you get from knowing Jesus drawing your life from him, serving his purposes with the resources that you've been given. I love what Kevin said last week. He was telling us about his uh, 25th wedding anniversary, which is coming up. And by the way, it's on November 9th. Don't forget that. Flood them. Him and Linnell, flood them with love. He said to me, he said to us last week, he said, what's the reward for 25 years of marriage? Remember what he said? More marriage. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's not a prison sentence. It is more reward. What is the, what do you do? How do you get rich toward God? Enjoy God more. More God. That's what you want in your life. More God. His purpose, his priorities, his love for what, what uh, you want to put your loves on, his hate for the things that, that, that you should hate as well, and so on. This is the way we are rich toward God. Being spiritual hoarders means likely being in, invested in things that God has given you here on earth to make a difference in someone else's life. And no rust is going to touch that, and no moth, and no thief. Let me read to you a scripture in preparation to wind this thing down. I want to just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is one of my, this is one of my most scary passages of scripture, okay? So whenever I go to this one, I, I'm on, I get a little nervous. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than the wit, that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. My dad was a builder. He taught us a lot about foundations. He says in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with, look at this, gold, silver, precious stones, (laughs) and then he goes on to the next three, wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will be manifest, for the day will bring it to light. The day, the judgment day. We'll disclose it. It's because it will be revealed with what? With fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So here we are. We're standing before God on judgment day. There's my wife and I, Pat and I. We're standing before the Lord on judgment day. 
And we have the possibility of having lived our entire life by using wood, hay, or straw, or gold, silver, and costly stones. And we look at the pile of our good deeds and our treasures that we've stored up in heaven. And here is my pile. It's pretty big. I'm a pastor. And here's Pat's pile. It's pretty big too, but it's a pastor's wife. And it's, you know, no comment here on this. But, but my pile's bigger than hers. I'm thinking, whoa. And then God gets the big blowtorch out. Right? You know where this is going. And he blows the blowtorch on my pile of treasures in heaven, which some of them weren't built with gold and silver and costly stone. No, I use I use a little bit of wood, hay, and straw, and all of a sudden this big pile is, is down here. And then God comes over to Pat's pile and it doesn't go down very much. In the end, that's what we're all looking forward to. It can be a little scary. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your word that uh, penetrates down deep into our hearts. And Lord, we just stand before you as, as we are, and we, we just ask you, Lord, that five or ten years down the road, let it be, let it be that we are able to look back and say, yeah, we, 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 we were storing up treasure in heaven in 2022, and we still see some of the benefit of that. So Lord, help us to live wise in this age with all that you've given for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand.
Lord God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness always. Amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.